I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 411 for September 25th, 2017. You know what's cool about our voice guy? He actually, like, he's a, he works in the industry. And uh, I follow him on Facebook. And he, he posts stuff that he does. Like, he does commercials. He, like, you, you'll probably hear his voice if you watch TV long enough. He does some real deal stuff. It's pretty cool. And, and he can deal. also mark off, uh, he could put Wood Talk on his resume. <laughs> How exciting is that for him? That's the real deal stuff you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Not monster truck races and, uh, you know, airlines and things like that. Okay. I so- sure hope that was Lindsay you just kissed. I didn't see the face. Because <laughs> we're live. So ra- random lips. Oh, <laughs> don't tell my wife. <laughs> Sometimes lips just fly by and, I, you know, I kiss them while they're there. Oh, you know, they want to be kissed. You know, who am I to deny a good pair of lips to kiss? I, I would agree with that. Or, or any pair of lips. They don't even have to be a good pair. Millie, come here. <laughs> My dog. She has, she has dog nice, lips. She's got nice mm. lips. They just stink. Uh, okay, so on today's show, we're talking about rabbits and knickers, the trouble with buying your last tool first, and grain direction on a chair seat. And we'd like to thank some folks who helped us out over on Patreon. Let me bring those up real quick. Anyway, that's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to help us out. Uh, Matt Hallman, Cliff Chambers, Stephen Yetzi, Ruben Villanueva, and Mir Gol- Go- Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Something like that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we really appreciate the support. You know who you are. You know who you are. Just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and you'll see the reward levels. And uh, one of the best features is you get uh, sort of priority questions. And uh, you get a better chance of having your questions answered directly on the show. So go check that out. We appreciate the support. And let's get to what's on the bench. You know what? I want to skip me. Let me just make mine quick. I really want to get to Matt here. Uh, I've just been editing video. Nothing great. Prepping for Woodworkers Fighting Cancer. We're going to be collaborating with uh, Pete Brown. He's the guy who plays with epoxy a lot uh, because I got to do some casting for this project. 
So, you know, go to the guy who does this stuff all the time. Uh, save myself the trouble of bubbles and cracking and all that other crap that can happen when you try casting and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so that uh, details on the, the build will be coming up soon. But as always, we will have a big uh, charity build and try to raise as much funds as we possibly can for whichever charity Nicole selected. I can't remember who it is. Or Are we, we saying what it is yet? Or is that still hush hush? The project or the charity? Yeah. The project. The project is just a simple frame with a like casting in the middle. So it's a framed casting, but you're basically casting in the frame itself. So there's no movement of the of the casting. Mm. It's just that's pretty smart. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, mm. it can be for remembering someone. You could put the things in there that you'd like to just have last forever. You could put a photo in there, uh, or if you don't have that, that's not the reason for building it. Kids would absolutely love to pick some colorful crap and throw it into a, a thing of epoxy, right? Like what could, what kid wouldn't want to do that? So see, I thought you were talking about spell casting. Now I'm really let down. Oh yes. Build lightning, like a bolt, frame. lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> do a little LARPing while we're here. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the idea. So kids will, will have fun with this thing and you could put it in their bedroom and um, I don't know, I could see some Legos going in there and, and marbles and colorful crap and I'll get the kids involved. It'll be fun. So that's it for me. But Matt, dude, man about town, man about the world. Ah, I'm back. I tell you guys, the show was kind of boring the last couple, couple of weeks. Oh, of course it was. It was a little less, it was a little dreary, you know, just didn't have that, that spunk that normally does. <laughs> See, I could I envision you sitting on top of Stonehenge with your your legs swinging, listening on your phone, going, "Yeah, this is pretty boring." <laughs> so tell I was us on about the airplane. It. Listen to it. How how did it go? It was great. It was like the best. Mm-hmm. I saw the pictures okay. and everything. So <laughs> all right, so moving, moving on. on. That was a, a lot less information I expected to have from you. But uh, so there so was so much. Tell us about it. What happened? <laughs> I guess the first major day was a Thursday that I was there, and that was like a press event at um, the 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 company that owns Trident. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, Powerbox, and their distributor is called Toolstream. They're actually going to be distributing Rockler products in Europe now. So they had a press event there, kind of highlighting that. It was pretty cool hmm. to be able to see that. And uh, I took a look at a lot of the new tools that Trident's coming out with over the next, I think, 12 months or something like that, all their prototype stuff they had there on display and to play with so that was the first day mm. and then second two days were at yandles that was that sweet sweet lumber yard slash tool store that was incredible so it was a really fun it was like a woodworking show like you can go there it's kind of like the woodworking shows kind of had that kind of feel mm-hmm. where it's like it's a consumer show you go there and buy a bunch of stuff for woodworking and um you can meet me because i was there and i was hanging out at the trident booth wow that's a hey. bonus right there yeah, right there. Boop, 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 <laughs> Yeah, too much. And then the, uh, the the next week, Monday through Saturday, I took a chair-making class. I made a chair out of a log. Nice. A straight-up log. That's great. It's pretty cool. I saw the bending yeah, video. So you had some steam bending to do in there as well? Yeah, so there were two... Um, the thing I liked a lot about the class was, like, here's, like, some basic... Two basic designs or a few different basic... Two, a few different basic designs, and you can kind of do whatever you want. So the two core ones were just a simple bent a bow, a bent, I think it's just a bow back, a bow back. So there's a bent back, uh, continuous back chair that you could do, or you could do a comb back, which is basically just a crest rail with the spindles coming out of it. And both of those have steam bending. So you either steam bending like a board for the crest rail of that comb back, or you'd be steam bending the, 
uh, the square stick thing mm-hmm. for the bowback, which is really so cool. It was, a, it was a comeback side chair then? There wasn't an arm? The, you could do arms if you wanted to, but it was the, the basic one was armless. Okay, so uh, I was just going to say, don't you have to bend the bow for the, <laughs> for the arm? You, if you did wanted you forget to, that part? If you wanted to go crazy, you could do that. And one of, the, one of the guys there did a double bowback Windsor, which is awesome. And when I got there, Paul, the instructor, was like, since you have actual working experience and no one else here does, normally I don't let anybody attempt a chair like that in the first time here at the class. But if you want to do it, you go right ahead. I'm like, I don't want to spend my whole time trying to make this chair and hopefully get it done in time. Like, I want to be able to like do, do something that's approachable, learn the steps, get it demystified, and end up with a chair that's probably not going to be super perfect, but at least I understand the process. Mm-hmm. And I could have spent my time not standing over my workbench, my work area, and like being by myself the whole time. I want to actually like go and like talk to people and like walk around the arboretum that this place is in. So I kind of took the low road which is I'm pretty happy about. Yeah, you don't. You don't. Uh, it's exactly what we'd expect of you, Matt. Took <laughs> the low road. That does sound like a Cremona thing to do. <laughs> now, you don't want to be the guy getting special treatment. Then you're working by yourself. No one wants to eat lunch with you. It becomes a whole social thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But instead, you spend all your time on a lathe because you know. Oh, I have to tell that. you about that. So that was like the funniest thing. Part of the whole experience was a Monday morning. Uh, we looked at the. The, uh, the syllabus or whatever for what you're going to do for the days mm-hmm. says whole day on Monday, make three spindles for the <laughs> stretchers. I'm like, three straps. That's like nothing. I'll be done in an hour. <laughs> Took me like all day, all day to make three spindles. Oh, man. Wow. So I suck at the lathe and especially with the treadle. Holy crap. That was hard. Really <laughs> hard. But I can see that if you start with a treadle, a regular continuous lathe would be a breeze, mm-hmm. like the easiest thing ever. But going the other way, not fun. <laughs> That's what Shannon calls woodworking. Good. He, say, he totally went the other way. Oh, well, here's well, the, the I mean, funniest went, thing, too. You didn't we did go just for... to a treadle lathe. You went to a reciprocating treadle lathe. So yes, that's correct. Yeah. Kind of a, yeah. There's an even bigger step there. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> and that very... it, spins, it spins the other way. It's <laughs> interrupted cuts. was yeah. terrible. And what, what I found out, we did that. We did turning for three days straight. And what I found out after day three was, like, I was having, like, a physically hard time doing it. And we found out it's because I'm little. And I literally have to use my muscles to drive the lathe instead of using my body weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was exhausted. And I had... <laughs> Should have the... made a little step stool for you to stand on. <laughs> Jump off the stool every time? Well, actually, there's, there's some merit to that. What's his name? Um, the, the bull turning guy. The British bull turning guy. Makes axes. Um, oh, shoot. That guy. Sure, yeah. I don't know. I got he makes, nothing. He makes those like uh, cord bowls, you know, where you make the nested bowls all together. Oh, it's gonna kill me. He makes his own axes now, but he stands on a on a separate block, so he's essentially stepping down every time he steps on the lathe, um, on the on the treadle. And it, there's a little bit of gravity, but apparently it also keeps your hips from like kicking off to the side because you spend all day like standing on one leg and you kind of you. You do the little, um, well, you're used to this, Matt, standing on street corners, kicking your hips out to the side oh. a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it, it prevents that from happening, I guess, because you do a lot of it. it so you, he actually stands on a block 
and it aligns his hips a little bit better so you don't end up with, you know, the the bull turner's version of carpal tunnel syndrome. Repetitive mm. oh, stress disorder. Sounds bad for your for your hips. Really I had bad. some I had the most intense muscle soreness. Yeah. For that on that trip. It was pretty rough. I even tried like switch hitting, like turn the other way, use my right leg instead of my left leg. Also very challenging because then you gotta cut in the other direction to make the mechanics work. So now you gotta learn how to cut left handed and right handed. So I'm like so it didn't last very long either. But it was fun. And then on thir- Thursday we did the seat. So I got to carve that out by hand with an ads with both I guess is there a different name for a long handle ads compared to like a hand held one? Uh, I don't know. Gutter ads? That's what it would be, oh, I guess. No, that's the that's the type of blade. But yeah, it's a long ads. Yeah, long ads. And, you know, I swing between your legs ads. I put a picture of that on the internet and everyone's worried about me cutting my feet off. So, <laughs> of course, because you know, it's that. the internet. <laughs> nice. Robin but, Wood. Robin Wood. That's his name. Oh. Sorry. It just popped back I in my head. Heard of him. Yeah, that guy. Hmm. Cool. Mark looks bored. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul, guys. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thankful to be here. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Well, that sounds good, man. Um, so did you – you said that the Triton was handling all – I mean, other than like you got a, a few quick videos here, Triton's doing all the content if we want to see. Yeah, it was fantastic. I have to tell you, I felt like I, – it's been a long time since I've known what it feels like to be like an actual woodworker like in your shop just working and not have to worry about a damn camera mm-hmm. and like Ooh. that stuff. So it was super nice. Like I just kind of work and just enjoy myself and the camera was taking care of itself. That's what I've always enjoyed about classes. Like if I can ever justify taking the time off to just go to a five day class, it's so great. I mean, you can snap a few pictures on your phone just for fun, but to just woodwork and not think about anything else is uh it is a vacation. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It was well, nice. Sounds like you had a good time. You just need, you just need a camera crew. There you go. I do. I do need the camera crew. <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> Shannon, what do you got going on? Uh, nothing quite so exciting as traveling across an ocean and, and stuff, but, um, I've got some veneer work to do. I'm, I'm working on a, um, a wall mirror right now. It's a Chippendale design with all the fretworked sides and I have to veneer it with some, um, walnut, um, crotch veneer. So oh, yeah. at first I was like, I was thinking, you know, I'll just, it's, it, they're not big. The pieces themselves aren't very big. So I just figured I'd, you know, put a couple pieces of plywood together, a little wax paper and smack it together. But I've got a, a side table to build after that is going to cause me to do some veneer drawer fronts. And I'm playing with another design, uh, something I hope to do in the new year, um, in January sometime that I think I might use a veneer drawer front for that. So I started thinking maybe I should actually like stop for a second and think about building like a little veneer press. The thing is, is I don't want something super big, um, I actually have, uh, an antique wooden screw, like a bench screw, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the more I think about it, it's like, then I'm going to have to have this like arm and like bed and it's a big that just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really fit in a corner nicely. So the more I think about it, the more I think, oh crap, I'll just get a couple pieces of plywood and some clamps, but I don't know. It just seems like it would be, this is one of those opportunities where you always have that time in the middle of a project and go, ah, I'll just like, you know come up with a solution now and I'll do a more formal solution later. Like the number of times that I use my bench hook as a shooting board because I don't want to walk four steps to pick my shooting board up <laughs> off the floor, yeah. that type of thing. But I'm thinking I really probably should. So, um, 
I don't know. I need to play around with this a little bit. Maybe figure out a way that I can create a veneer press with that kind of overarm thing that maybe folds flat or something like that. It doesn't lose some of its stability because I don't know. I might actually do more veneer work if I had you know a super easy way to just kind of throw it on the bed, crank the thing down, and 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 be good to go. You know, mm-hmm. instead of having to come up with all kinds of calls and use thirty billion clamps and everything. Cool. Or I guess a vacuum press would work. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that, I got I mean, plenty of outlets in here that don't have anything plugged into them. So I was oh, going to yeah. say, does there that go. go against the whole, you know, thing? Nah. Of, I mean, well, if he like just puts a straw in it, it starts sucking all the air out. Yeah, is that, is that can't you count? Well, don't they sell the manual ones where you essentially have like a little bellows type pump thing? Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think I seem to remember Matt Vandalis when yeah. he made that skateboard for the, his son. The Roar Rocket he had, people. Like, he had to like you know suck on the tube or whatever because yeah. the little the little pump thing it came with didn't do a good enough job yeah there you go yeah so i'll just call matt vanderlist over there you yeah go. he'll tell you what to do elaborate cool nice. actually just talk to matt he's doing okay good to know in case anyone wanted to know you're good to know <laughs> there's your vandalist report for this week That's matt's doing report. okay oh that should be a thing <laughs> cloudy with a chance of chortles uh checking in with matt still doing okay <laughs> All right, so let's get into. Uh, we, we could have like a sound bite that we play every single time. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> let's move into. I don't which map became Popeye all of a sudden, but it always apparently. reminds me of Popeye. Yeah. Uh, all right, so get into what's new, Shannon. You got the the link here. Yeah, this was sent from Preston, and it's actually funny because anytime something like this happens, some sort of illegal somebody busted for wood, I get like 300 emails. You know, and my business account and all of my all of the Wood Talk listeners immediately go, oh, Shannon, I want to talk about this. It is particularly interesting, though, because uh, a company and, and I'll link to the, the article and you can get it all the who's who and who done who done what and who's bad and all that. But um, the Lacey Act, it seems like all anybody can talk about is illegally imported lumber. And we have to remember the Lacey Act has been around for more than 100 years and it was originally created to prevent the trade of feathers of of foul because they were like killing birds and making hats and brooches and and things out of them and that's why the whole thing came into being it wasn't until 98 no later than that that wood actually became amended to add in the lacy act so all anybody talks about with lacy is illegal wood well here's an example where this company was busted not for the wood but for the essential oils they are hmm. selling you know fine essential oils you know, beauty products and things like that. And it actually comes from rosewood and that rosewood is actually an endangered product. So that means you can't do nothing with it, you know, and if you're extracting oils from the tree, it's not like maple syrup, you know, you just tap the tree and, you know, you get your syrup and the tree's fine. Mm -hmm. In this instance, it's, you grind up the tree and you like run it through a coffee strainer and out comes Rosewood coffee or essential oil. So yeah, this, this, so this actually, in my mind, is even more awful because you take a, a species like rosewood that not only is is endangered and protected, but but you're grinding it up. <laughs> There's not even any. You, know, you can't even say, well, at least we got some pretty lumber out of it. No, you just get these little vials Nothing. of oils that go into like you know a potpourri burner or something like that. So so, so wait a minute. This this must be a, a hard yeah. thing for Matt to accept. I mean. What's he going to do on a Saturday night? No feathers and no essential oils. I know. <laughs> how do you, how are you going to go out? So that one, well, that, the fact that he's now building stuff from logs. So that whole bandsaw mill he made is completely, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be out to the curb <laughs> with a sign on it. It says free, 
Free. You free, haul. Free to a good home. <laughs> okay, so let's get into our kickback. We actually did get quite a bit of nice, supportive kickback regarding the schedule change. It seems most people understand the reason why uh, I wanted to do it. And in fact, we've got one voicemail here uh, from Gord who gives us a perspective that I didn't even think about until I heard this voicemail and it makes a lot of sense to me. So here's uh, his thoughts. Hi guys, Gord Air here from Victoria in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Long time listener, but first time feedbacker. I just wanted to comment on Mark's announcement that you're going to be cutting Wood Talk back to the original once a week format. When I heard that, all I could think was, thank God. I love the podcast, but I have to tell you, keeping up with you guys over the past couple of years has been exhausting. I listen to quite a few podcasts, some of which come out only once a month or even less, and that's just fine. Wood Talk was the only one putting out multiple weekly episodes, and since you often reference current events, I like to listen to them as they come out, and if I get behind, they start to stack up. It can be very stressful. Now that you're back to once a week, maybe I can get a little bit more work done in my shop. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Don't stress about the revised, old, new format. For some of us, at least, it'll be a relief. Cheers from Victoria. See you guys. See, it's interesting. In the past, I would kind of say that that's crazy. Like, who's going to complain about too much content? If you, if you miss it, you miss it and you move on. But Shannon and I were like talking about this and it's like, you know what? We had, things like this actually happen. There are TV shows or I have unsubscribed from podcasts because I get too far behind. Yeah. It's, it's like, weird. I just, and, and he's right. Stressful is a good word for it. Cause she's like, well, I don't want to listen to the current one. Cause I haven't listened to the other two. And you know, and, and now you just give I up. have 87 podcasts. Yeah. You know, the little, the little red, little red circle on my podcast app is like glaring at me. <laughs> you have 87 <laughs> podcasts and they're all, you know, one show that I fell behind on. It's terrible. Yeah. I've done this with comic books. There are series that they just, they, I don't have time to read them all. And by the time I get like four or five behind, I'm like, unsubscribe. I don't want any more. It's a weird phenomenon that happens. It's odd to even think that it could be stressful, but it is for some people. So anyway, I know a lot of people won't agree with that, but I, I can see where he's coming from for sure. Uh, sure. Let's see who wants to read for this sure. next one. How about not, not Matt? It. Not Matt because it. it's too long. Yeah, it's long. I figured <laughs> um, this is, uh, this is Doug from uh, Nicole's hometown in Columbia. Mo. Hey, Oh, uh, let's see. He says, concerning wood talk and time management. Back in 2009, after someone put me onto YouTube and the kind of content that could be found there, there I found Wood Whisperer and was hooked. I was already, whoops, hold, sorry. I've got to expand my screen here because it runs off. Single column is weird. <clears throat> yeah, I was already a hobby woodworker, but I learned so much from the free content Mark provided and with just enough humor to make it interesting and entertaining. <laughs> Not too much, just enough. <laughs> just enough. Later, once I discovered podcasts, Wood Talk immediately became my number one podcast. Number two, the guys who think they're woodworking is, quote, fine. <laughs> but now to the point, if I had to choose between Wood Talk or free video content, as much as it pains me to say, I would choose video content. Thinking about all those like me who are visual learners, the woodworking craft would be better served with good quality and entertaining video content over podcasts. If you find that further cuts are needed, maybe a bi-weekly podcast. I hope it doesn't have to go away, but I understand you have a business and need to support your family. P.S. Mark, Bat and Shannon, all three of your channels are on my must-watch list. Ooh, and I love this channel. Ooh. So, again, it's, it's a good point of view, although I think you would find a large number of people who would disagree. 
the people who commute daily who want to listen. Yes. Because I get I get the opposite of this mailed to me all the time. Um, you know, I love your videos, but I, I rarely watch them anymore yeah. because I, I don't have time to sit down and watch, but I have time in the car to listen. So I get a lot of people who tell me, I don't actually watch your videos. I listen to your videos. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I can listen to a lot of content. I listen to a lot of audiobooks this way, and I can keep up with audio podcasts. You know what I don't do? I don't sit down and watch YouTube. I rarely, like I try to catch you, you like your updates, both of you guys, just because, you know, that's what friends are supposed to do. Um, <laughs> but even then I'm like, ah, I'll get to watch Matt's, stuff. I'll get to Matt's England update, yours. you know, next week. And I, and I never get to it. But if it was like in some audio format, I could listen to it. So yeah, it's, it's a format thing. And it's, it's consumed in a different way in a different place. So it just depends on the individual. Not, not to discount Doug, but you're wrong. <clears throat> no, Doug's right for Doug. Yeah. Okay, Matt, you got the next one. You'll like this one too. I wasn't. I have to read this. Yes. Yeah, generally, that's what we do on an audio show. Sorry, I thought it was a voice. You could, you could act it out. <laughs> yeah. Let's do a charades art. version. <laughs> I, I don't think I could do that. This is from Tommaso. He says, "I never thought I would miss Cremona, but the cricket last show was aggravating." <laughs> you guys really get on about this cricket thing. The cricket yeah. was a pain in the butt. I think it was mostly because Mark just kept drawing attention to it. I, I, I didn't know. I, it I could did. not draw attention to it. It was it was it was aggravating for me. <laughs> Everything's about you, Mark. Everything's uh, about you. The cricket is gone, Mark. I think you're right. It's okay. It is. There are no crickets in this shop right it, now. It finally expired. <laughs> I can't imagine they have a long life. Um, okay, so we got Please a voicemail kickback kick here from uh, William regarding Grizzly versus Powermatic. Hey guys, it would seem the standards are changing without some kind of hilarious stick for a voicemail. I realize this may not get to air, but uh, here's hoping you play it anyway. With regard to the real difference between something like Grizzly versus something like Powermatic, for me it comes down to the warranty and what happens in a worst case scenario. I have a Grizzly 19-inch bandsaw and one of their 8-inch joiners. I love the jointer, but the motor ate itself earlier this year and it's about a year and a half out of its one-year warranty. Having to replace the motor put me on the hook for the cost of the part, the cost of shipping, and worst, I didn't have a joiner for about a week and a half. I had a joiner plane, but come on. Powermatic and Jet both carry five-year warranties, and I believe come with better motors to begin with. They may be otherwise identical, but if I'm getting four more years of support, I think that adds a lot of value, especially someone who uses these tools almost every day versus a weekend woodworker. Okay, insert hilarious joke here, Baba Booey. <laughs> bubble buoy to you. Bubble <laughs> buoy. Uh, let's, excellent point. Let's go ahead and skip William's uh, comments here because it's just another supportive comment about our schedule. I don't think we need to hammer that into the ground any further because you know what it's going to do? It's going to result in the opposite feedback for next week <laughs> to say, yeah. uh, you know, we think it's a terrible idea that you're doing that. At least yeah. there's feedback. feedback well, thank you, good. William. We appreciate your feedback. We do. But it's no different from anyone else's. So just shut up. Well, I always have to be a jerk. There's nice, nice ways to say things, well, Shannon. Actually, I think I deleted uh, part of a comment uh, later on in the show where it signed off as like, you know, goodbye, Harry Giggler, uh, Albano Gorilla, and what was it, like Jerky Mark or something like that. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. That's pretty accurate. Uh, my, my family even knows this. Okay, so let's get into our voicemail. And this actually, this is a first for Wood Talk. We actually have a question in, in the form of a poem. There once was a guy who made bows and arrows, who now faces many sorrows. He is making a beautiful bow of hickory, but the friend it is for is being persnickety. 
He insists the bow be stained dark for hunting, but the task, to me, seems quite daunting. Stained products from Minwax and Rust-Oleum ended up being a waste of money and petroleum. Is it, perhaps, that I should instead be using dye? If so, what kind, how, and why? For outdoor protection will be sealed with polyurethane, but maybe I should be using epiphanes? These questions have caused me sleepless nights, and I hope you guys have the knowledge to put me to rights. Because you three are so wise and clever, I hope the Wood Talk podcast lasts forever. Oh, that was pretty good. That was brings it to a lot point. better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> right? I mean, I could have been it's really a, bad. a good question in poem format. Yeah. Let it be known that from now on, you have to submit your questions. Nope, nope, nope. In, in some form of verse. <laughs> That'd be good. Submit all your questions and prose to Megan Fitzpatrick at www.media.com. <laughs> she will compose them in iambic pentameter and yeah. for them. Oh, and I'm sure oh, they will boy. all go very quickly downhill from here so okay so to translate his question into english he's trying to dye something or darken the color of something for exterior obviously for a a bow and wants to keep it dark but is wondering what kind of dye coloring agent he might use to uh, retain that color you got to dye it with the blood of your first kill there you go that's the way yeah that makes a lot of sense come on then the bow the bow will be bad luck otherwise the earth spirits will be displeased so yeah you know a lot about this. Um, I do. <laughs> you know, the only thing I could say is I did this recently with my uh, garden gate project and I don't usually stain something that's going outside. So this is the first time I looked into it. And while there's all kinds of stains and dyes and things out there, I figured I should start with something that is, you know, made and sold and intended to be used outside. It, whether or not that's like the only finish I use, you're going to be top coating it with something else. So I wound up going with, oh, what the heck is it? I think it's a Thompson's product, uh, but basically it's like a deck stain. Uh, and this was a uh, oil with a little bit of pigment in it that brings it the color. I was able to get the color I wanted, but also knowing that I'm using a product that has some sort of outdoor resistance, UV resistance. And then once that was dry and cured, then I go the whole Epiphanes route. And over polyurethane, definitely a good option for you because Epiphanes has UV inhibitors. It's a little bit more flexible of a finish and the varnish is a little bit more flexible. So I think it's going to be better over time for your situation. I should not be drinking soda during the show. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a bad idea. So, so yes, get off the polyurethane. Get on to the Epiphanes train, yo. And I think, uh, I think that'll serve you well, but look, you know, look at the outdoor, you know, go to the home center. There's a lot of different things there. That's, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Have you ever looked for deck and fence products and like those types of finishes? It's uh-huh. like, it's a whole new, really stupidly confusing world. Out, like, yes. like once, uh, once I think I have my brain wrapped around the finishing world, just in general of like the kind of finishes we deal with. Once I go there, I'm like, there is so much marketing like gobbledygook in, in what these people are saying. It happens when you put this on wood. It's hilarious. Um, but it's pretty much <laughs> all the exact same product. Yes. It's just a different label on the front. And yeah. they just call it different things because it's usually, you know, these deck projects are usually be being done more by homeowners uh, than folks who are like hobbyists or, or pros of any level. Um, so yeah, it's kind of goofy, but except that the pros are buying the same products and, same finishing products at, at Home Depot and Lowe's. So Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully they know what they're buying. <laughs> and they know how to read the labels. Uh, well, probably leave not. that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, so hopefully that answers uh, your question there, Chris. 
or whatever. Well, his name is. well done on Bo- the verse. Not Chris. Chris is the next guy. It's Bo your boy. Oh, your boy. Okay. So next one we have is from a guy named Chris and uh, it's about furniture holding up. Good afternoon, guys. This is Chris from Virginia. I heard Mark mention recently that his chest of drawers was holding up really well. This surprised me, not because I wouldn't have expected it to, but because I took for granted that anything that Mark or any of you has built would be holding up well, which leads me to my question. Do any of you have large furniture pieces that you built early on that simply haven't held up? Any joinery failures or wood movement problems or finished deterioration aside from outdoor pieces? I've only been woodworking a relatively short time, so I don't have a frame of reference for what to expect on down the road. Thanks again for all you do, and goodbye. Goodbye. Anything come to mind? I got a couple of pieces I designed that were meant to be knocked down, like big case pieces that like mm-hmm. you can't possibly lift when they're all together. Okay. And uh, I just used crappy like um, what you know, the the cam bolts, the little circular things you drill a hole and the screw comes in the side and you twist oh. the cam bolt. Mm-hmm. And so much of the um, hardware itself ended up being. What should we say? Metallic coated? <laughs> I don't even know what it was. Some sort of polymer, I guess. And it's just, oh, they're just terrible. Um, and the, the piece itself became super rickety to the point where when I finally decided to knock it down and move it, it mm-hmm. fell down. <laughs> it made, Which made it real easy to take out to the curb. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I honestly can't think of anything. I mean, I have smaller things, and I even did a video years ago um, on, on the website about how my furniture has held up over time and things that kind of worked or didn't work. That was a, that was a pie making video. Ah, yes. Humble pie. That's right. How to make humble delicious. pie. <laughs> mm. I was uh, looking for pie recipes and I, I found uh, you. Oh, yeah, if I you look harder, you. you can find huh. a pizza recipe and some yeah. French toast. I mean, we or a know, French toast recipe. We do recipes. Mm. Not against that. <laughs> I've made that French toast. It's good stuff. It is. Um, so aside from that, I don't really have anything. I think most things have held up kind of as I expected them to. There's really no major surprises. Uh, what about you, Matt? I have, I have one, I guess that uh, it's kind of weird. So a few years ago I made a TV stand. So it's, um, it's like three compartments. There's two on the outside of the doors, they're inset. And then it has like an open space with some shelves for like AV stuff in the middle. And what happened with that is the whole cabinet kind of sagged from the way the TV on top and just the overall span of the piece. Mm. So that the doors, because I made them, you know, with a really nice gap, really fine gap around there, they don't really open because <laughs> it sagged and pinched them. So mm. I guess like the more proper thing there would be like put a foot in the middle in the back or something just to sure. kind of take some of the weight off of it. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, it still works. It didn't break. It's just sagged. Speaking of sagging, doors um, I did a bookcase, the one and two sheets bookcase that you just reminded me of this uh, because the edge banding on there is just like three quarters of an inch thick. It's not like it was done with inch and a half banding mm-hmm. to make it look like they're thicker, uh, which also supports the shelf a lot better. Uh, the The shelves do have a tendency if there's a load on them, they will sag over time. So my mom has this thing. So anytime I, I see it and think of it, I go in and take everything off the shelf, flip the shelf over and then let it bend, you know, give it a couple of years to start bending the other way. So the workaround is, you know, make sure both sides look good because then you could just kind of keep flipping it. And um, hopefully most of the time it'll look relatively flat. Uh. See, it's funny because so much when I first started, so much of the stuff I made was small, like keepsake type items mm-hmm. that, you know, don't get high, 
you know, stress to them. You know, it's, it's not a lot of uh, uh, stress on a box, lifting a lid off and putting photographs in it. You know, back when we used to print out photographs, <clears throat> you probably don't remember that, Matt. Nah, I don't know what a photograph is. Um, but when I built bigger things, <laughs> I went like the opposite direction and like overbuilt the crap out of it to the point where it looked clunky. Like there Not was really. no there was no artistry in it. It was just like everything was reinforced and yeah. tripled, tripled up with angled supports and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, you know, that will never they have they have half light designations rather than they're never going to sag. You can drop bombs on them and they'll be all right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It's rated for that. Uh, okay, next one and last one here is from Marin. Greetings, gentlemen. This is Marin. Uh, I hail from the Rocky Mountains of Utah. First up, uh, thanks, you guys, for being inclusive of women in the hobby. Lots of other online woodworking personalities are a bit alienating to me with their dude bro posturing. So I appreciate dude having bro. a place I can learn and <laughs> listen to shop talk without being marginalized or treated like a dude. A couple of questions for you. I get a lot of hand and muscle fatigue from woodworking. I've always blamed this on my tiny lady hands wielding tools that are designed and sized for a more burly grip. Um, but I'm wondering, maybe this fatigue is normal. Uh, do I just need to, I don't know, sign up for CrossFit to support my woodworking <laughs> habit? Or should I accept my fate and switch to knitting? Uh, what do you guys don't do, do to prevent fatigue and muscle strain? Second, I'd like to get into the world of integrating more hand tools into my workflow, and I drool over the guild's Rubo plans, um, but I'm left-handed, and all the bench plans I see out there are obviously set up for righties. Uh, is it as simple as switching the vices to the other end of the bench? And I'm just wondering what sort of accommodations I should think about when designing my bench. I've not really used hand tools before, so I'm not sure what my bench needs are, and I want something flexible as my skills evolve. Thanks for your help. And Mark, thank you for not quitting yet. I love this show. <laughs> yet. Yet. I love that. Okay. So, uh, okay, so we, have to, we have to address the issue of delicate hands. So yeah, that, this take is it obvious. away, Matt. This is obvious where we're going to take this. Uh, I, have, I also have very, very petite hands. Um, so I don't, I don't really get like fatigue from, I guess, from, from power tools. At first, I thought this was going to be like, more of a hand tool question. Right. But apparently she doesn't use hand tools that much yet, so I'm kind of... It's only going to get worse. It, well, I have, actually have, a, I have an answer for hand tools, which is with the hand tools, usually you can get something that has a custom handle. And a lot of the stuff that I do have that I use a lot has all been sized to be super tiny, especially the hand saws. Um, if I grab like even a regular-sized hand saw, it is huge in my hand and extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the saws I do use have custom handles, which are extra small. That's the size, I guess, the size designation. And then they're mm-hmm. tiny. And if anyone else wants to use them, they're screwed. But right. at least well, they're comfortable with my hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> but well, as far I, as, like, could, I would... could see some of it from the power tools, because especially like the handheld power tools, where there's always like the safety lock that's got to be pressed. Like think a circular saw. Oh, yeah. um, you've got to press the safety lock and then pull the trigger. And um, if you've got you know, really small hands, it might be a bit of a reach. Um, I also think that, and this would be hand or power, you know, there's something to be said about once, once you're working with the tool, we tend to tense up and like forget to breathe in a a tense cut or something like that. And you'll just find yourself 
you know, scrunching up your shoulders and, you know, squeezing the handle a little bit too much. Yeah, that happens to me a lot more with power tools than, than anything because because of the fact that I'm actually having to keep pressure on a trigger, mm-hmm. I grip it too tightly more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could, I, could, I could see that yeah. very easily. And I have big, giant, you know, albino gorilla hands. <laughs> gorilla so. hands, yeah. Um, you know, she could also try, this might sound silly, but I think it, it could help is some stretches, you know, so where, wherever, where is the muscle soreness happening? You know, so is it posture? Is it, is it her back? Is it her legs? Uh, these are things you could address. If you know, those are problem areas, you could try to stretch a little bit before you do these operations. Um, if you're talking about your wrists and things like that, there might be things you can do, but I know when I do handles, if I have a lot of handle operations or a repetitive thing, I don't use them all the time. So even, you know, for me, when I do a couple days of planing something, I get really, really sore, you know, because it's been a while and I do have a tendency to death grip the tools because I just haven't done it in a while, you know, but so the, so the more I do it, the more I kind of loosen my grip and get mm-hmm. comfortable with it. Um, but I do think, uh, stretching could certainly help a little bit here. Um, do you think, I mean, because think about like a circular saw. I I actually had a student one time, a very, very tiny woman, and she wanted to build like a a bunk bed for her kids. So she would come to the shop and I would kind of teach her. She scared the crap out of me because she could not handle a circular saw in a way that I felt that it wasn't controlling her, (laughs) you know, like, Uh and, and you take it for granted, you know, as a, as a grown man, you just pick up this tool and there's, there's, it's no big deal, but not everybody is that you know, has that much built in strength, not to say that like we're like these massively strong people. Um, but a lot of times these power tools, especially the portable power tools are built for the average grown man. So yeah, I mean, I imagine some of these, these things are probably just heavy for her and difficult to hold. Well, and I can add to that as a fellow lefty Marin, I, I feel your pain because all of that stuff is designed for right-handed mm-hmm. people. Those mm. those safety locks I'm talking about, yep, they're designed for the right-hand thumb to reach up and get to it. Right. So if you're already working with your non-dominant hand, you're going to tense up. You're going to be awkward no matter what you do. And it's probably a myriad of things coming together, you know, making it. Uh, making you just feel like you've been in a bar fight by the end of the day. <laughs> Sorry, that that was it. What was it called? Dude broing? Was that dude a bro. dude broing? Dude bro. Dude broing expression. Yeah. Not in a bar fight, in a knitting circle fight. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> see now, see you bring attention to it, and, and now you know. Yeah. Now we're coming off as as masoch- our chauvinist. So yeah. Masochist. Jeez, easy. Because I too many big words and I don't know what any of them mean. So. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, so well, while uh, we're on that topic, left-handed though, as far as the left-handed bench. thing, yeah, um, I am a lefty. I have a left-handed bench. Honestly, it all comes down to the tail vice. Um, if you're using a tail vice, if you're using a vice for surface planing, you don't want to be planing into the screw. Um, it's going to put too much pressure on the screw. You'd rather be planing into the dog or, or a fixed surface. And that is why you would put the tail vise on the left-hand side because your left hip is going against the, the, the whatchamacallit, the bench. And that way you're working into the dogs with the tail vise behind you. If you're not going to be using a tail vise or if you're, if you're not certain about it or whatever, I mean, you can put a face vise or an in vise. Um, well, see, if you're going to use the in vise as your your surface vice you need to think about that as well but the face vices don't really matter so if you look at my rubo you'll see the leg vices on the right hand side 
And I get all kinds of crap for this on YouTube about how my bench is backwards and people whine and complain because they can't understand what I'm doing because I'm left-handed. And I usually throw back some sort of four-letter word about how uh, myself and Marin and others like us, heroes like us, have been forced <laughs> to adapt to the right-handed world all our lives. So suck it up, people, and adapt to one dude on YouTube looking left-handed, all right? Everybody who's never been able to find those little green handled plastic scissors in the little craft box and had to like cut with with left handed si- or right handed scissors in your left hand, yeah, suck it up, righties. Sorry, you know what? I this is a major opportunity for left handers. By the way, there is a yeah. drummer that I that I used left-handed to left handed lives matter. Yes, exactly. The, the, there's a drummer, uh, the drummer for the Dave Matthews Band. Remember him? His name's Carter Beaufort. The guy's freaking amazing, but he is one of the hardest drummers, at least for me, to try to emulate because he's left-handed playing on a right-handed kit. So his hands are in different positions at different times than mine would be if I were playing, you know, trying to play his song. So he can do things that I can't do unless I want to try to be, it's play like a left-hander on a right-handed kit. It's, it's interesting. So I wonder if that's kind of a similar situation where you might find ways around things that other people just can't relate to because it doesn't make sense. I mean, but and good more, on you. We're more adaptable. We're more adaptable. We're just be. better people in general. Yeah. Well, um, like most hand tool users, you are a higher echelon of society. Yeah. So oh. Marin, you're looking to get into hand tools. So you're already at a high. You're echelon. already better like than that. everybody good, else. Good word. When you pick up hand tools, you'll become super human. Yeah. Of course, the first thing I tell people is adopt ambidexterity when it comes to hand tools, because it's just going to be, better you'll be able to more flexible but um honestly there's not really a lot to think about just shift the leg vice over to the right hand side but even then you know it's not even because what am i doing what am i doing at the leg vice i'm usually standing squared off to it so facing it cutting dovetails or something like that if i'm cutting tenons i'll put my left hip against the 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 bench and saw like across the the leg vice, but you could do the same thing working off the end. Uh, in fact, a lot of people prefer that because you're standing off the end of your bench and you've got a little bit more elbow room. So technically you put the a face vice of any kind on the left-hand side and it's not really going to affect you. It's only that surface clamping mechanism that you want on the left-hand side so you're not planing into that screw uh, over over time. So if you're not sure about a tail vice or, or wagon vice, whatever the whatever fancy term people have come up for these days, um, go ahead and put your your face vices on the right in case you choose to add them later on. Is is there any logic to planing into the leg vice versus out of the leg vice? You know what I'm saying? So like an edge jointing operation. Mm, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I've got a I've got an edge jointing. Okay, yeah. So if you're holding the board. In, in the leg vice. Good point. On edge, your hey. edge jointing, that would be yeah. the one time I would say you, a lefty might have some discomfort. You're, you're actually planing right. out of the leg vice instead of into the leg vice. Yeah. Most of the edge planing I do these days, unless, of course, it's a wider board, I'm actually doing on the bench top against the planing stop. So thank you for bringing that up because I don't do that as much anymore. You're but yeah, it's a good point. Now, now you're, you're going to – well, I mean even then – I suppose you could be standing off the end of the bench and planing, but then you might you know, be like bumping into the leg vice as but you try to go by it or something. It's not hard to reverse the orientation of the bench. Like if she likes it, no. it's actually fairly simple. And I won't say it's trivial. You just got to remember that everything is the opposite, but it's definitely doable. Yeah. Yeah. If, and if you're really, really confused, just look at pictures of my bench. <laughs> That's a left-handed bench. Yeah. Technically. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. And uh, let's see, what do we have left here? I think that's it for voicemail. And if you want to leave us a voicemail like those kind folks did, you could use your voice memo app and send that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And let's get hey. into our email. Uh, let's see. So the first one I have here is from who? Mike. He says, I have a $2,000 budget for purchasing a router table system. I am quite new to woodworking, but at least to this point in the hobby, I want to specialize in boxes. I've spent the last several months researching the various options and have hit overload. I hate that. I don't really have the patience for hand cutting joinery. Uh, so I was almost ready to go with the woodpecker table and the next wave CNC style fence. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, and lift and fence and lift when Mark bought his Incra setup and made me question my decision all over again. Any insight would be appreciated. So I may not answer his question directly because I don't even know what that next wave CNC style fence is. I could look it up, but I think there's a bigger a bigger question to address here, um, and that is buying your last tool first. Right? There's a piece of advice out there if you go into forums and you start asking questions about which one should I get, which one should I get. Inevitably, or I'm sorry. So Shannon can understand me. Invariably, Invariably. <laughs> someone will indubitably, indubitably, someone will at some point say, uh, you know, spend as much as your budget will allow and get your last tool first. And the logic being, you don't have to sell it and buy a new one and upgrade three or four times. But there is a problem with that. Here's a relatively new woodworker apparently has the budget to do something and buy something very, very high quality, but doesn't even know enough about it to know which one is better for him. That's a really troubling situation to be in because he's going to invest in something that's very expensive and may find out down the road that it wasn't the right one. And this is why the other side, you know, I think the opposite argument to buying your last tool first actually does make some sense. If you buy something a little less expensive and learn on it, learn about the tool, by the time you're ready to upgrade, you know so much more and you don't have to ask, you know, three goofballs on a podcast which one to get because you'll know which one to get. You know, so I I might actually recommend, Mike, that you get something a little less expensive. Two grand for a, um, you know, for a setup like that is, that's, that's a lot of money. Forgive my, my ignorance having been away from router tables for a while. Can you spend two grand on a router table? Uh, you could certainly do that with Rinka, Rinka, (laughs) Inkra. (laughs) Sorry. That just Uh, sounds like a lot of money. It really is. But if you get like the deluxe system with all the add-ons and everything like that, I, mean, I had a Jessam lift, like, you know, the above the table thing. That was yeah. the the latest technology back when I was using router tools. Yeah. Um, and I want to say, like, all told, it was like 600 bucks. But you got to throw That was a lot of money. You got to throw a, in a, um, a, a three horse router in there as well. The, right. the cost of the table. Here, let me look. I'm looking for the combo I kits. Own, I guess I built my own table. So <clears> I, I this one's called The Works. I'm on Incra's site right now. So. The works at Incra is twelve ninety nine. So throw in a three horsepower router, a good quality wow. one. You're you're pushing close to two thousand. So crazy. anyway, that's that's my point that's here. Is nuts. I mean, I I like the Incra. It's great. It works well for me. Certainly, if you're going to be you know making boxes there, that's a great choice. Lots of box makers will utilize that, and its joinery capabilities are fantastic. Um, but I'm afraid to see you drop that much money on something that you're not that sure about. And there are way cheaper methods to get that knowledge. And then when you're done with it, when you've reached everything that that thing can do and you've maxed it out, sell it. You know, you'll probably get 75% of what you invested in it, but you'll save that much money by not buying the wrong thing in, in the premium version of what you buy. I just remember when I was building a lot of boxes, when I was doing craft show type stuff, all of my jigs were jigs that I made in my shop 
not because I was like trying to save money, but, but because it was something so specific to whatever it was I was building yeah. that it was just easier to go ahead and build, you know, something for that. And I was batching out a bunch of stuff. Um, I think with these really, really expensive things, I mean, Inkra is a cool brand, but why it's so fancy is because you can do all kinds of adjustments and stuff with it. Well, if you don't use half or, you know, three quarters of the adjustments, then, you yeah, know, it's wasted. You, on you, you wasted some money. Yeah, sure. Hmm. Something to think about. It's a lot of money. So I, I, I get the hesitation, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could go hand tools and buy no, like, no, 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 stone even oh a plane with it. We're going to end it right there. <laughs> a plane. <laughs> Matt, it's just, your turn. <laughs> this is from Rudd. It says, when building a chair, does it matter which way the grain runs on the seat? Does it matter? As a Mr. Newly, chair professional over here, as a, a newly accustomed <laughs> to chair making person, <laughs> I had this exact kind of realization at the class. So um, when the Paul instructor, he cut up all the seats for us, the blanks for him on the bandsaw. And some of the people's seats had the grain running across and then some had it running front to back. Mine was running front to back, which looked cool to me. So I was excited about that. So. The answer is, I think it's aesthetics more than anything. What 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 species did you use over there for that? Uh, ash. Sweet. Yeah. Did, can I add something to this? I don't no. want to jump no. all over here, Matt. One well, um, comment, though, because I, before yeah. when I did the stool at Mark's place, I had it running the other way. Across. Yes. So I've done right, both. Right, but the dimensions Holy on crap. this thing, which it's is a toilet seat thing, which is in my... <laughs> <laughs> which is in my hand right now. Um, it's a very wide seat and it's that it's answer like the normal question we would, we would answer with is like, what grain do you, what grain direction do you go with? Well, typically you go with a long dimension. So with this particular yeah. stool, I mean, we decided we didn't really like the dimensions, but ultimately I think if the grain was running <laughs> the other way on this chair, it would look weird, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, that would have probably, I think when you get to that size, I guess, cause the ones that we were doing, the blank was mostly square. Right. Okay. So yeah, and and that's that's kind of where I was going, Mark. Is it depends on the design. Um, a lot of Windsor chairs, like eighteen to twenty inch wide, eight quarter stock, is what you're looking for for um, a seat blank. And mm-hmm. I just went straight to Windsor's because, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess any plank seat is really what we're talking about. If it's if it's a frame <laughs> slip seat, then who cares? You know, yeah. it's it's whatever whatever direction the batting tells you to run. But there's something to think about. Not so much in grain direction, but which side, bark side or pith side to think about? Um, because as the tree as the tree dries or as it goes through moisture changes, um, it's going to want to cup and it will cup in one direction and it will bow in the other direction. And as you're hollowing or saddling the seat out, you're exposing a lot of ingrain. So you're you're allowing much more moisture transfer to happen. So it's best to work in such a way, well, it's best to I see the minute you say it's best to do something, then you can go, well, except, except on Tuesdays and the month of February, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Um, certainly there's an overwhelming side of things that says aesthetics is something, but if you're painting the chair, who the heck cares? Right. Um, but if, if the chair is going to cup and go kind of in the same shape as the hollow, that's a good thing, you know, but if it's going to cup and kind of add a little bump, where you've hollowed things out, then that might be a bad thing. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know, you like that. 
You're into <laughs> that's the only thing. Was, uh, um, I remember uh, talking to Curtis Buchanan about this, and he gets really specific about bark side or pith side up, and he'll actually change it depending on whether he's going to paint it um, or not, because there's also a different grain direction that happens there, uh, a grain appearance. But as far as front to back or left to right, nah. Just go diagonal. Buck, buck the yeah. trend. <laughs> going to do it. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Uh, this is uh, from Travis. Um, he says, sorry for the text question. Some people have a face for radio. I have a voice for a new- newspaper. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Matt, newspapers, they were things that the news used to come in them, and they mm-hmm. would come on the street corner, and you would get kids about your size running around going, hey, extra, corner, extra. On the street corner where I usually hang out. Yep, yeah, with, your, exactly. uh, yeah. with your essential oils and feathers. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, continue. <laughs> anyway, Travis recently acquired a wooden rabbit plane. It has a slot for the little knicker blade for scoring the edge of a rabbit, but it has no such blade. Knowing that scoring the fibers will lead to a cleaner rabbit, where can I find a replacement short of hiring a blacksmith? I'm not adverse to a little file work to shape things if I have a better starting point than if I have no better starting point than <laughs> buy a bar of steel. So, yeah, that, that's one option. Go buy a bar of steel. Mm-hmm. Um first things first here um most of the traditional wooden rabbit planes do not have a knicker um because they were a rabbit goes with the grain you don't need to score the edge of a rabbit because you're working with the grain so first thing i would check is make sure you don't have a dado plane um because if it has a knicker it might be a dado plane and it's going to (laughs) you might have a dado plane (laughs) (laughs) you might not have what you think you have um but at the same time rabbit planes um, also come with a skewed blade meant to work both with the grain and across the grain. And I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere out there, somebody decided to put a knicker in there. So um, the first thing you should do, I would say, is reach out to um, the traditional sources for vintage planes. Call um, like Jim Bodie at Jim Bodie Tools. Um, uh, but what's his name? Superior Toolworks. Um, man, I'm really bad with names today. Just go to Superior Toolworks and, and look him up. Josh Clark at hyperkitten.com. Um, contact any of those guys because a lot of times they end up having a lot of extra parts floating around. Um, you know, as they are trying to, they're buying huge lots, huge collections, and it's usually boxes full of tools. And you'll end up with just these random parts. It's kind of like when you take apart, you know, your, your, your VCR and suddenly you put it back together and there's three extra parts. You just, ah, just throw it in a box. <laughs> oh, take apart your what? Our VCR mat is for. <laughs> it's a video cassette recorder. <laughs> Black um, plastic box. Likewise, I was just at Liberty Tools up in Maine, and they have like a card catalog looking thing. Um, it goes on a library. And Matt, a library. It'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get old. We wrote stuff down. Um, but they have like this whole card catalog looking thing filled with plain parts. Like one drawer has nothing but lever caps. One drawer has nothing but blades. Um, and you can contact Liberty Tools uh, over the phone. Um, and Matt, the phone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> running this joke this into the day. ground. <laughs> um, you can call them or, or email them and they could probably tell you if they have um, a part like that. Hmm. So that would be like the best place I would think is go to any of the tool dealers and they probably got a bunch of extra stuff. Then you could actually contact any of the new makers of planes um, like uh, Phil Edwards at Philly Planes in the UK. Um, you know, he makes planes with knickers so he may actually have a blade and he may actually sell one to you 
um, and that would be you know probably your least amount of work but most money spent or just buy a bar steel and, and get started yeah <laughs> start filing yeah all right. Well, I think that just about does it for the show. Uh, you can help us out if you want to. Go to Wood Talk. Uh, what the heck? Patreon.com slash Wood Talk. <laughs> yeah, I got this memorized. Don't worry about it. Got it. Uh, you can go to TWWstore.com and you can pick up a Wood Talk t shirt or you can leave us a review in the iTunes store or really any place that has podcast reviews. Uh, reviews are always. Um, very helpful. It usually helps our ratings and helps people find the show. And Shannon, yeah. why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I'd love to. Uh, let's see. As soon as I find it. Oh, yeah. If you have stuff you want to tell us, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can send us a voicemail using your voice memo app and send that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can go to our contact form, woodtalkshow.com slash contact and leave a comment also on the actual show page at woodtalkshow.com. All of those work. You can find us on Instagram at woodtalkshow, Twitter at woodtalkshow, as well as on the Facebook. So please... All you wonderful Photoshop people, thank you for the Mount Rushmore image that you came up with this week. <laughs> um, your assignment this week is Matt on the street corner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With feathers. Oh, with feathers. Matt with feathers. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.